Church, I want to invite you to join me into a moment of giving. You know, one of the things that uh, crises do to us is they activate our generosity. And I've been so thankful and so grateful to God to be able to see how our church has responded in this time of crisis. You have responded, let me tell you, church, with great generosity. Great generosity. It reminds me of uh, the church in Macedonia that the Apostle Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 8 that came to the rescue of the church in Jerusalem in their time of need, even though they were not a wealthy church, even though they had their own needs. They pleaded with Paul, Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 8, to participate in the almsgiving for the church in Jerusalem. So thank you for your generosity during this season. Your generosity has, in fact, enabled us uh, to do above and beyond during this season. We have been able to come to the rescue of our sister church in Recife, Brazil, where we have helped to feed thousands of families. I want you to watch this video here. Hello guys, this is Pastor Guilherme from Da Ponte, our church here in Recife, and we would love to thank you guys for the help, for the partnership that you guys have with us. Thank you for your kindness and investments. You have been helping people who have been suffering from hunger. Your money has been helped more than 5,000 families in our city. I'm sure that together we are stronger and we can reduce the suffering of the most needed people. We are the bridge, we are the cross bridge. We are the Church of Jesus Christ. Let's do this together. So church, all of that was possible because of your generosity. So in a season such as this, let's continue to give. Today, you can participate with us in giving. You can click on the giving link in the comment section, or you can go to our website, crossbridgefamily.com. You can choose your campus, and you can press the Give button there. And you can, you know, give recurrently, or you can give a one-time offer. Let's keep the generosity flowing because God is continuing to do great things. I want to close with 1 Corinthians 15, 58. After the Apostle Paul talks about the power of the resurrection and what it means and represents to us, he encourages the church by saying this, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Everything that we do right now, the generosity that we demonstrate right now during this season is not in vain because it's a part of the work that God is doing in the world. So will you pray with me? Uh, Father, we are grateful because in our greatest need, you have met our greatest need with the life of your only son, Jesus Christ.
Father, we are recipients of your generosity. So, Father, let us act accordingly. Father, in light of the love and the gift that you have given us, may we be generous towards the needs of others as well, especially during this season. Father, we pray that these resources that would be gathered here today, that they would be stewarded wisely by the leadership of this church, and that it will result in much gospel work in our city and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, church. Happy Easter. Good to be here with you. And I'm back with Carter Brown and Sam Miranda. Uh, by the way, Sam, love your red pants. Love them. Red if you love Sam's yeah. red pants, drop a little red heart there in the heart comment emoji. section. I, I like us. the socks too, Sam. Those are those are great. Yeah, those are great. Your socks are, are looking kind of uh You you like fresh. my socks? I mean, I didn't get yeah. my socks at the Biltmore Pro Shop. No, I I I uh, I got them at Top Golf. <laughs> <laughs> really, uh, I'm not a golfer, but I love the socks, so I just got them, you know, at, at the at the store. Well, I won't share about my taste for socks, but one unique thing about me is that whenever I am watching or starting to watch a new series or starting a new book, I usually start with the ending. I read the last chapter, I watch the last episode, and I do that for two reasons. Uh, one, because I don't want to waste my time. If the ending is lame, the story is going to be lame. Uh, but, but then secondly, I do that to remove all the anxieties and, and to ease the tension that exists when you are reading a novel or when you're watching a drama. You know, I, I prefer to ask the question as I'm going through the story, how does this scene or this act help to resolve the plot versus... Uh, where's this taking us, right? So we're now in the middle of this crisis. We don't know what's going to happen two weeks from now, a month from now, if it's going to get much worse or if it's, if it's going to get better. But one thing we know for certain, and that is that we know the end of the story. We know how history ends. It ends beautifully. It ends with restoration, and, and therefore we can have hope now in the present. See, the message of Easter is a message of hope, and that's why in a day such as today, we can celebrate, we can sing, and we can thank God for that which he has done in Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to invite you uh, with my brothers here to meditate on the meaning and the significance of Easter and what hope it brings for us today. Yeah, that's what the resurrection of Jesus brings to us is meaning and hope for our life. And that's so important, especially now. It feels like maybe more than ever, uh, at least in my life, that message of hope and meaning as we're going through a, a season of death in many forms. And yet today, we celebrate a Savior who has conquered death. And our passage this morning is going to be a little bit uh, peculiar because we're looking at a passage about, about resurrection, but it's not the resurrection of Jesus, Rather, it's the resurrection of his friend Lazarus. It takes place one week before Jesus will be crucified and buried, and he will be placed into the grave. 
and then he will be resurrected on Easter Sunday. And yet this passage, when Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus and brings him back from the dead, holds so much meaning and so much hope and so much instruction for us as we wrestle through that and as we cling to that this Easter. And so, Sam, would you mind reading us the passage that we have this morning? I don't know. If you're joining us today, open your Bibles to the Gospel according to John. We'll be reading selected verses, starting with verse 20. This is what God's Word says to us. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you will always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And so the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Amen. What a beautiful passage. You know, when, when I look at this passage, I see the value of Jesus. I see uh, the hope that the risen Christ brings us, particularly in two ways, especially now. Uh, the risen Christ is both the person that we want by our side right now during this crisis, and he's also the warrior that fights for us. He is both a wonderful counselor and a fierce warrior on our behalf. And so we're going to think about these two things today, Jesus as the counselor that we need and the warrior that fights for us. Uh, First, he is uh, the counselor that we need. You know, one of the themes that we have here in this passage is the presence of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is gone from this village where his friends lived, and while he's gone, something bad happens. But then Jesus returns to the village, and he brings life into that situation. Now, uh, the interesting thing about this passage, as Sam was reading to us, uh, is that before Jesus performs this great miracle, he addresses the emotional needs of the two sisters of the deceased man, because they both come to Jesus in different ways. And to one sister, Jesus gives truth, and to the other sister, Jesus gives tears. Here we have both Uh, the ministry of truth 
and the ministry of tears of Jesus. Yeah, no, notice in verse 24, Martha uh, tells Jesus, speaking of truth here, she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha believed in the general resurrection mm. at some point uh, in the future that God would wield, you know, his amazing power and strength and he would raise everyone up, that he would recreate this world with its beauty and power enhanced, that he will eventually uh, take away all the violence and all the death that, that will all be abolished. She was, uh, uh, she had a firm belief that this was going to happen in the future. And while that may be something great to believe in, which it is, and, and while that may be sound doctrine, which it is, she did not have saving knowledge of who God is. She believed that Jesus was some kind of uh, I don't know, intermediary between God and man and that he can wield his power whenever he wanted. Uh, uh, and, but she didn't believe that Jesus was, in fact, uh, life itself. And this is what he says to her, right? He's saying the resurrection is not just something future. The resurrection is here and now as he responds to her and says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. You know, there, there was um, several years ago, I took my, my two young kids to the cemetery not, not on a play date. My, um, <laughs> let's go to the cemetery. No, but it's been about 18, 19 years since my mom's passing. I do not like to go there. I don't like cemeteries. Don't judge me. It creeps me out. Um, but there was a time I took them there. My, my daughter, Jordan, who's nine, she was four at the time. Uh, we had a conversation about resurrection, and she had a lot of questions. And so she asked me, Daddy, is mommy, mommy in the ground? And I said, yes, yes, mommy's in the ground. Um, she asked me, um, is she ever going to wake up? Well, I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only one way that, that that's ever going to happen. And she said, Jesus has to wake her up. And I said, yes, Jesus has to wake her up. You're absolutely right. And, um, and so she starts to survey the whole cemetery. She says the three sixty, and I could tell like she, her eyes are open. I could tell the, the rationale, the logic. And she's like, why doesn't Jesus wake everybody up right now? And I said, well, sweetie, because we have to wait. <laughs> That's just the bottom line. We, 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 we got to wait on God's timing. And, and the reason we have to wait is that Jesus occasionally delays so that God's glory might be displayed in a much greater way, in a much more powerful way. God has destined us, like the Apostle Paul says, uh, uh, to the praise of his glorious grace so that we who have placed our hope and our faith in Jesus can live for the praise of his glory. This is what we were created for. This is what we were designed for. We were designed to be uh, in the full presence of God. We were created to, to celebrate in the full presence of God. And so once we get this through our heads, once we, once we allow that to assimilate into our, our, our imaginations, we're, we're out of the director's chair. You were talking about, you know, watching the end of the movie. We're out of the director's chair. We're in the movie, but we're not directing the scenes here. Anything that we can come up, anything, our goals, our plans, anything that we can come up for ourselves uh, pales in comparison to what God is doing, the praise of his glory. Everything that we're ever going to need to help us grow up in our faith in Jesus has already been set into motion before he even laid the foundations of this world. In fact, he would later on, even, even in dying, as bad as that is, even dying, he tells uh, Peter in John uh, 21, he describes the way that he's going to die. And in fact, he says his death will end up glorifying God. Everything, everything glorifies God. And so if this is true, how do we participate in this? How do we, uh, to use Eugene Peterson's language, how do we practice resurrection? What is, what is left for us to do? And, and, and it's this, it's, it's, it's receptivity. It requires to adopt a skill 
and an aptitude that our little children have and adults, I guess we kind of lose it along the way, is to receive receptivity. And the reason this is the primary response is because like Lazarus, we're all helpless. We're in a condition of hopelessness. And we all need this saving knowledge that Jesus is the resurrection. He's a counselor. But right here in this moment for Martha, he didn't console her necessarily. He gave her a truth that she needed to hear in this moment. Right? I am the resurrection. I am the life. And it is a truth that we all need to hear at this very moment with so much death and with so much dying going on. It's a truth that Martha needed. It's the same truth that we need today. That's so good. Yeah, I mean, the fact that God richly supplies truth to us is so vital, especially in a time where there feels like a lot of untruth. Uh, but we also need compassion. And God, as a wonderful counselor, also supplies us with compassion. I don't know if you're like me, but I sometimes uh, attribute God's compassion towards my inability to comprehend and apply truth. It, it, it can feel to me sometimes like God is compassionate by coming to me, kind of condescending to me, if you will, and almost having a response of like, oh, I'm so sorry, you poor human, that you can't understand truth, that you can't comprehend what I'm doing, that you don't see my plans, that you don't trust me. And, and yet that is the very notion that Jesus counters here in this story, in this passage. We, we think oftentimes of, of God's perfection and his transcendence and his power and his might, and yet we sometimes begin to believe that the more intimate characteristics of God, the personal characteristics of God, are somehow solely focused, his compassion, his care, his concern for us, is solely focused on our sin and our inability to believe truth, that there's this gap. But God is not only transcendent and powerful, he's also near, and he's also caring and compassionate. And Jesus wants us to know that he supplies not only truth, but tears. Right after this encounter with Martha, uh, Jesus says that he's going to look for Mary, uh, Martha's sister. Now Mary's not there. Martha runs out. And, and so now Martha runs back to go find Mary. And Martha says to Mary, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. What a powerful statement. He's calling for you. Jesus is here, the teacher, and he, he's being intentional. He wants to seek you out to see what you need as he can counsel you. So Mary runs out of the house, and she goes on the way towards the tomb where Lazarus is, and Jesus is heading there as well, and she sees Jesus, and she runs up to him, and she approaches him in a very different fashion than Martha. Martha approaches with an accusation, with a conversation, and yet Mary approaches and falls down at his feet and begins to weep. And I, I'm trying to picture this scene, and I imagine Mary just at Jesus' feet, weeping, and through tears, she utters one statement. I imagine she doesn't even lift her head up. She just says, Jesus, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And how does Jesus respond? Does he bend down, and does he say, Mary, I, I know you're sad, but let me show you what's about to happen. Does he just supply her with truth? Does, is his compassion directed at just giving her truth and saying, just watch this, don't worry, stop crying, you don't need to cry? No, it says that Jesus weeps with her. The God of the universe in human form is weeping with Mary. He knows what he's about to do. No one else knows that. He's about to bring Lazarus back from the dead, and yet he does not supply Mary with truth when she's 
crying and weeping, he supplies her with tears. There is such power in weeping. There's such power in weeping when you know that in your tears, when you face loss, when you are crying out, that God does not condescend to you and think, oh, poor human, I'm so sorry you don't understand truth, that actually God is near and he is weeping alongside of you. And there is power when you not only allow yourself to weep and know that God is there with you, but there is power also when you weep with others. And what a moment and what a time for us to not only weep and cry out to God, but also weep with others and experience the power in that. I will confess that I am more of a Mary, I'm more of a Martha than a Mary. I am a truth guy that is learning to be a tears guy. I like to be a problem solver. I want to fix problems. You know, it's very much Martha-like. She's trying to fix the equation, yet Mary is just broken, and she's crying out, and Jesus meets her and counsels her where she's at. And so as we prepare for what is going to be a wave of grief, and maybe you're experiencing that now, you're experiencing that wave of grief in your life as many losses are kind of mounting up. And as many of us are preparing for that in the lives of those that we love, how do we prepare? And it's through a ministry of tears. Listen, church, there is an opportunity for us to care for people and to give them tears when that is what they need. Jesus is the example that we need, giving us permission and freedom to weep, knowing that God is with us. But he also is the example to us that we are to cry alongside of people. You see, there was not one second that Jesus' heart was closed to Mary, and there is not one second that Jesus' heart is closed to you. All of your pain and all of your suffering, Jesus is there. And if you feel like Mary, where you need tears, and you are weeping, and you are crying out, Jesus comes to you, and he weeps with you, and he says, let's just cry. Truth can come later. You know, and one of the things that Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 is that uh, we ought to mourn and we ought to cry. It's okay to do that. Yeah. But we don't do that as those that do not have hope. Yeah, exactly. And so we can cry and we can mourn with hope in a day such as today because we know that our God is not only with us, but he's for us. He's not only a wonderful counselor, but he's also a warrior, somebody that's fighting for us. You know, one of the languages that's being used lately a lot is this language of warfare. We talk about this uh, invisible enemy that we're fighting. Uh, the president's been talking about that and other leaders have been talking about that. And we know of people that are fighting for their lives right now in their hospital beds. Many of them lost the battle to this invisible enemy and they've died alone. But nevertheless, they're fighting. And what we need right now is the knowledge that there is someone on our corner. There is someone that's fighting for us. We need a champion. And what we find here in this passage is that we have a champion in Jesus. Uh, wasn't it a blessing for Lazarus, for Martha, for Mary to have Jesus as a friend? But wasn't it a blessing for them to have Jesus as a champion as well that fought for them? And, and, you know, we see this warrior-like characteristics uh, in, in Jesus, in both in the way in which he uh, postures himself before the great enemy that he is facing that day, and by the way, he will finally defeat um, a week later, 
And also in the way in which he goes about it, the action steps that he takes in order uh, to bring about that victory. Uh, we see his posture and in, 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 in his anger. Jesus is angry. You know, uh, here in verse uh, 33, we read, uh, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. Now, I want you to underline that sentence there, that Jesus was deeply moved. Uh, most translators have sanitized the real meaning of the original word that's here in the text. Jesus was not deeply moved, but in the original text, Jesus is utterly angry. Mm. He is absolutely furious at what had happened and had taken place. And so if, if you were to read now verse 38, I'm moving out to 38, you would read it like this, then Jesus, filled with rage, came to the tomb. Not then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, but filled with rage, Jesus came into the tomb. Now, first, first of all, let me tell you something. There is nothing sinful about anger. Jesus is a perfect human being. Jesus is God. And yet he experiences anger because anger is the natural reaction that uh, we experience when something that we love is under threat or under siege. And at this very moment here, uh, the world that Jesus had created, the world that uh, he loved so much, as we read in John 3.16, right, is experiencing the consequences of death. The friend that he loved so much, Lazarus, we can call him Laz, Jesus probably called him Laz, was now experiencing the consequences of sin. And Jesus hated that. He was angry at the separation and the pain that death had brought into his world, the world he had created, and had brought into the life of that family in which he loved so much. But what's beautiful about Jesus' anger, which is holy anger instead of sinful anger, is the way in which Jesus handles his anger. He does not aim his anger, like I said, towards God or towards people. He aims it towards the problem. It, unlike Martha, when Jesus is coming to her village, she finds out that Jesus is coming. She runs towards Jesus because she's filled with anger. And... Uh, when she approaches Jesus, we read this in the text, she says to Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. In other words, she's blaming Jesus for the tragedy that had taken place. And I'm afraid that many of us in a season such as this, we're acting like Martha. We act like Mary and we act like Martha. And, uh, you know, many of us are looking who to blame. We're blaming governments. The reason for this pandemic is because of that government, or an ethnic group. And, you know, some Asians have been feeling the object of racism mm -hmm. because they've been blamed for this pandemic. And others are actually even blaming God. The other day, my five-year-old uh, came into the kitchen uh, when my wife was getting ready to go to the grocery store and she said, Mommy, I want to go to the grocery store with you. And we know it's not safe. So my wife said to her, listen, you can't come to the grocery store with us. And, and, and we could just see her getting angry. And uh, she said, God, 
Really? You created a bat with a coronavirus and someone ate it? Come on, mister. <laughs> Just like that. And, you know, Beth wrote it down. We started laughing. But it is true. You know, many of us are acting that way. Instead of doing what Jesus is doing here in the passage, which is channeling our anger to bring something good out of it. You know, and you know what's worse? What's worse is not only that in a situation like this, we're looking for who to blame and even God, but we're taking our anger out on others. And so the thing that you've been talking about, Sam, in the previous weeks, uh, what is it, quarantine quarrels? Yeah. It is real. <laughs> no, you know, yeah. my, my, my wife uh, this week, she took a webinar on trauma, and the lecturer was saying of how the uh, cases of domestic abuse have been skyrocketing during the season because we're taking our anger out on other people. See, look, I'm angry. <laughs> I, I want to be real here with you guys, church, if you, if you will. I'm angry. I'm angry that we can't celebrate Easter together, mm-hmm. that we have to celebrate Easter in this virtual space. It's disappointing. I'm angry at the fact that I know friends that are losing loved ones. Mm-hmm. This past week, you know, I have a friend, a pastor, a, a pastor here in Miami who lost his brother. And I have a friend in New York who has lost um, you know, some family members and, 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 and friends as well. I'm angry at that. Mm-hmm. Come on. And if I'm not careful, I will take my anger out on my wife or on my children at home. Many of you have been guilty of that in the past three weeks. You're getting that elbow right now on the couch. <laughs> and so we have to be careful and we have to ask God, God, May you allow us to channel our anger to bring something good out of it, just like Jesus did that very moment. So, so let me ask you guys a question. How did Jesus channel his anger in order to bring something good out of it? How do you guys well, see it here I in the mean, text? You said it already. He directed his anger at the problem because he's the director, right? If this is a movie, we're, we're in the movie. He's the director. He's the captain of our faith. He's the commander here. Verse 39, he says, take away the stone. And if you think about where we are in the story here, we're six days before Passover. Uh, Jesus is sitting on the high, uh, high steps, of the, uh, steps of the high priest uh, home two miles from Bethany. If he raises Lazarus from the, or Laz, as he calls <laughs> him, call him uh, from the dead, uh, it's over. Everybody's going to know. You can't hide this event, this mysterious figure that we've been talking about. Uh, uh, everybody's going to believe that he is the Messiah. And only Jesus seemed to understand that he was about to trade his life for his friend and eventually ours. And so not only was he angry, but he was sad, and and he was just troubled because of the lack of faith of those around him. All of these emotions, just a mixed bag of feelings. And yet here's the great hope of the gospel, that through his faithfulness, the faithfulness of Jesus, God is going to tell a new story. That's the hope of Easter, that God has uh, resolved to give us a glimpse of a new world, one that's not subject to death, one that's not subject to, to decay, not, not just that he'll fix it in the end, but that he's on the move right now, even if, even if it doesn't seem like he is. He's on the move right now, right? The good shepherd calling his own sheep. His sheep hear his voice. Lazarus hears his name, right? He comes out of the tomb, and Jesus prays this, this prayer of thanksgiving, right? Uh, uh, Father, I thank you that you heard me. Right? He didn't even have to say anything. God heard his heart. God heard the, his desires to fulfill you know, God's plans here. God is, you know, he, he's looking at Jesus' wish to benefit 
those that are standing around him, those who lacked faith, those who lacked belief, right? And so this underscores the relationship and the oneness that, that the father and the son have, right? They have an intimate, uh, a constant connection, and he wants this to become clear to those standing around. So it, you're angry. We're all angry. We're all frustrated. How do we channel it? We, we direct it in a way in how we speak to people and how we act in such a way, specifically in this time, right? Uh, 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 and, and how we pray. Sometimes our prayers doesn't even reflect this understanding of who God is, a God who has already sacrificed everything to save us. Let us channel our anger and our frustrations and direct it at the problem. That's good. Yeah, he... He is calling us to trust him, right, as you said, as the director, and he's going to bring a new story. And many of us need, I think, to see that Jesus is challenging our belief, uh, our beliefs in him, our beliefs in God. Those things are being challenged right now. A lot of us feel like Martha. I said that I'm, I'm more like Martha, and so I resonate. Right before Jesus commands the stone to be rolled away, Martha uh, is still struggling with believing who Jesus is. Her beliefs need to be changed, and she says, hey, Jesus... <laughs> You need to wait a second. Uh, he's been in there for four days. The odor is going to be yeah, he crazy. <laughs> he's dead, you know? And Jesus says to her in verse 40, he challenges her belief, and he says, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And some of us need to be challenged in our belief, our belief about God and what he can do. Can he really bring dead things back to life? Is he the resurrection and the life? You know, it's really easy to believe that God can do great things when great things are happening in your life. When God is pouring out blessings on your life, you can say God is good. When your life is beginning to kind of spring up with hope and your career is going in the right direct direction and your relationships are good, it's easy to say God is guiding my steps. When you're able to look at someone wearing a life is good t-shirt and say, yes, it is. It's easy to believe that God can do great things and bring resurrection and life to you. But what about when things are dying and rotting? How is your belief being tested then? And I think God is testing and challenging many of our beliefs. He's calling us to say, do you really believe that I am the resurrection and the life, that I can bring beauty from ashes, that I can take mourning and turn it into dancing? That as we'll sing in a moment, that I can turn a grave into a garden. That's a challenge. And it's a challenge to our beliefs that should call us to secondly pray hard. Pray hard and pray more. Here in this passage, Jesus prays to the Father. That's so interesting. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, prays to the Father to ask the Father to bring Lazarus back from the dead. You see, we believe that God is three in one. He is Father, Son, and Spirit, one essence, three persons. And Jesus has humbled and emptied himself, and he is now reliant on the Father. And so he is praying to the Father to bring something that was dead, his friend, back to life. So if Jesus is relying on the Father to resurrect dead things, and in this case a dead person, how much more should we rely on the Father? to bring life to things that are dead and rotting in your life. Church, what is dying in your life? Is your career dying? Is your mental health dying? Is rest dying? Are relationships dying? Is hope dying? Maybe you feel like your faith is dying. 
Will you access the same power, the same spirit that brought Lazarus from the dead, that will bring Jesus from the dead in one week time, the same spirit that we celebrate this morning that brought Christ back from the dead lives in you through faith? Will you access that power and pray more and trust that God can resurrect dead things? Amen. And you know, one of the beautiful things that I see our church doing during the season is praying. Yeah. I think we're having four or five daily online prayer meetings uh, on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, the campus pastors are leading those meetings. And I, and I see you logging in. I see you praying. Last night I logged in and I, and I, I saw you praying, Sam, and I prayed with you for a little bit there. I had to log off, but uh, I saw that there were people engaging. So keep doing that during the season. It's very, very important. Yeah, important. The fourth thing, that, fourth thing that we see Jesus doing here is crying out. Um, in verse uh, 43, you know, a- after he asks uh, for the stone to be removed, after uh, challenging Martha and her faith, after praying to the Father in verse 41, in verse 43, uh, we read that Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. You know, the, you know when I was reading this, the picture that came to my mind is, you know, like you go into a space and and there, there's a group of people here that have suffered because of this bully. Right? This bully's there in the corner. We've all suffered. Everyone's afraid to do anything about it. And then here comes your representative, somebody that has your back into the room and challenges the bully. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's challenging the bully, which is death. Everybody's suffering. Everybody in the village is suffering because of death. And Jesus comes in and he cries out. You know, and when you read the gospel accounts, there is only another place here in the gospels that Jesus cries out with a loud voice like he does here. And that is a week later on the cross. You know, here Jesus is crying out so that Lazarus could come out. He is in the face of death crying out for Lazarus' resurrection. And on the cross, Jesus is crying out in the face of death as he's experiencing the death that we should be experiencing on the cross. On the cross, Jesus is crying out to the Father. He's quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, there's a substitutionary element to this cry of Jesus here in the passage. Jesus knew that the only way to bring life back into Lazarus was to forsake his own life. The only way to bring Lazarus out of the grave was to put himself in the grave. That's what the message of Easter is all about, that Jesus has entered the realm of death, that Jesus has purposely come under and voluntarily and willingly under the powers of death so that death would no longer have control over us. You know, George Herbert, a poet, used to say that uh, in one of his poems that, uh, on the resurrection that death used to be an executioner, but the gospel turned it into a gardener. And all it does, all that death does, because one day we're all going to die. You know, Lazarus died one day. <laughs> Jesus rose him from the dead that day, but later on he died. But when we die, all that death does is plant us into God's future so that we may grow and flourish into something beautiful. That's what the power of the resurrection does in us. And, and so today, I want to bring a message of hope to you, to you 
who is sitting on your couch at home with your family, I want to I challenge you to cry out to God today in the face of death, in the face of darkness. I want you to cry out to God. And he will not only come and become your counselor. He will not only be by your side, but he will be the warrior that you need to fight your battles. He will give you new life. He will restore your life. And you can rest assured of that because his lo- he lost his life for your sake. So today I want to invite you to cry out to God. I want you to invite you, I want to invite you to pray with me this prayer where you may cry out to God with me and experience the power of the resurrection in your own life. Will you pray with me this prayer? Father, today I cry out to you. Come into my life and make me alive in Christ. Today I trust in your son as Savior. I trust that he has fought my greatest enemies and that he has won. Today I ask that you would become to me the wonderful counselor that my heart needs. That he would give me truth when I need it. And that he would give me tears when I need it. Father, bring peace through Jesus into my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.